Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. Get your weekend started right here with us, talking some soccer on a Friday. Plenty to talk about on today's World Soccer Talk show. Great guest coming up, Sam Kelly from Buenos Aires will join us. Because if you didn't hear, some stuff went down at the Boca River Copa Lib match last night. Some crazy stuff happened. There was pepper spray involved, and no, it was not used on fans. It was used on players. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much all you need to know to understand that some really crazy stuff went down in Argentina. This is on top of the fact that Argentina has suspended play this weekend after a fourth division player died uh, more than a week ago in a match. So, you know, things are just not cool in Argentina right now. And we'll talk to Sam Kelly about all of that. Certainly about what Boca and River and um, missing out on this weekend and just the state of Argentinian football in general. It's one of those uh, one of those leagues, one of those places where disorganization, uh, violent fans. That's it's just sometimes it's just a mess. And of course, they have amazing players in Argentina, and you get the sense that more and more of them are going to flee the country if things don't get better. Let's do some headlines ahead of Sam's appearance on the show, and we'll open up those phone lines later in the program as well, as you usually expect us to do. In addition to uh, the Argentinian Madness, Sevilla and Nipro have advanced to the Europa League final via wins yesterday in the second leg of their semifinal series. Sevilla took out Fiorentina 2-0 last night uh, in Europe to win 5-0 on aggregate in that series. Meanwhile, uh, Nipro wins 2-1 on aggregate over Napoli after a 1-0 win in Ukraine yesterday. And remember, Dnipro, because it's Ukraine, and Ukraine's got their own stuff going on, Dnipro's forced to play, not at home, not where they usually play, not in their, their comfortable digs, but uh, 250 miles away, something like that, because of the unrest in Ukraine. So they're doing all this in Kiev, with a significant crowd, a sellout crowd at the Olympic Stadium in Kiev, despite that not being where they, they normally play. Uh, That's not their house. Somebody else's house, and they got the job done. And they advanced to the Europa League final over Napoli, a bit of a surprise there. Luis Suarez has picked up a hamstring injury and will undergo some treatment. Barcelona has not said how long Suarez may be out. But obviously, you've got trying to close out the league, winning the Champions League, got a Copa del Rey final against Bilbao on May 30th. So there's some stuff coming up that Barcelona might need Luis Suarez for. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to be that much worse. They got Pedro in the team. They got, they got some things they can do. And they still have Neymar and Messi healthy. But Luis Suarez has been the uh, the extra element for Barcelona that has pushed them to new heights late in this season as they go for a Champions League title, a La Liga title, and a Copa del Rey title. If you didn't hear this, this is interesting. MLS has signed a deal with a Chinese television network. I'm not sure what this necessarily means. Just more money into the coffers of MLS. Money that you would hope gets turned around and invested in the league. They have signed a deal with LETV Sports to to raise the number of countries in which MLS is shown internationally to about half a dozen. We are excited to add LETV, an innovative leader in digital video, to our growing list of global media partners, said Gary Stevenson, President and Managing Director of MLS Business Ventures. China is a priority market for our international strategy, and LETV's commitment to bring MLS games to viewers is a significant step in increasing increasing the relevance and popularity of the league worldwide. Now, you know MLS is being shown 
in England on Sky, right? I haven't heard as much about that over the last couple of weeks, but when that initially started, Twitter was fun. Lots of uh, lots of commentary from English viewers about the MLS uh, games on Sky Sports. So what, what would Chinese? What would, what would the Chinese think of our little league? We'll find out. They got their own league. Lots of money invested in that league, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know where Chinese football is these days. Can we book a Chinese football guest? Do we know anybody that can talk? Uh, I know we've done that before on this show, haven't we? We've done that before. Maybe like a year and a half ago. We've certainly talked Chinese uh, soccer on this show. Maybe we can do that in the future. Find out what the Chinese will think of American soccer. Bad news out of Seattle. Obafemi Martins has picked up an injury. The club is waiting on x-rays after... Uh, after Obafemi Martins missed practice on Thursday to get an x-ray. Siggy Schmidt declined to divulge what it was that he was getting examined for, uh, but sa- and saying at the time that he was doing an impression of LA Galaxy coach Bruce Arena because Bruce doesn't like to give out injury information. Now, there's some changes to the injury policy, injury, injury disclosure policy at MLS. MLS has stopped asking teams to give full injury reports a la the NFL. And uh, now, essentially, it's up in the air. You're not going to know until the la- either the last minute or these things leak out, as in the case of Obafemi Martins, where he misses training. And it's obvious that some sort of injury has cropped up. Now, they, they, uh, wa- the Sounders visit white, uh, the Whitecaps this weekend. And obviously, they've been playing very well with Obafemi Martins and Clint Dempsey combining. They'll have training today before they leave to, for Vancouver. We'll see what happens with Martins, but uh, that would be a bad blow for the Seattle Sounders to miss out on him. All right, let's turn back to South America and Argentina and find out exactly what happened between Boca Juniors and River Plate last night in the Copa Libertadores. Sam Kelly will join us in just a minute. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Hi, I'm Jason Davis, and I want to invite Soccer Morning listeners to join me this Friday for FC Dallas against the New York Red Bulls. During the game, I'm going to be sharing my thoughts and opinions about the MLS action at Rabble.tv. It's a brand new television experience that gives fans the ability to talk and banter about the beautiful game. You'll get a chance to hear my opinions about the strengths and weaknesses of Dallas and the Red Bulls, as well as post questions to me via the live conversations thread. If you have an iPhone, that's great. You can use the Rabble app to hear me, or you can go directly to the website at rabble.tv. So come on, Soccer Morning listeners, mark your calendars for this Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern, and let's hang out at rabble.tv to talk Red Bulls, the Hoops, and MLS. I look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning and joined now from Buenos Aires by Sam Kelly. Find him on Twitter at H-E-G-S underscore com. Hasta el gol siempre. And the Hand of Pod, the award-winning podcast on Argentinian football as well. He writes in many places and he's a a tired man this morning. Because of what happened last night in Argentina. Sam, how are you? I'm not bad, thank you, Jason. How are you? I'm well. Um, you, you know, this is, uh, this is not the, the best of circumstances to be talking um, about football in Argentina. Boca, River, uh, Boca Juniors and River Plate, excuse me, playing in a Copa Libertadores round of 16 match last night. And just for, I mean, I, I think a lot of people have, have read what happened, but from, from your perspective and from what you've heard, what exactly went down with the pepper spray uh, attack. Essentially, if anybody was watching on television, I probably saw, um, as as much as you guys did, I, I suspect that the international feed 
um, for the pictures was taken from the same signal that we were watching here in South America. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, what what seems to have happened, or or what what looked like it was happening anyway from the pictures, was that the uh, there was a I hesitate to call him fan, but there was somebody down at the front of the the stand who cut through a small part of the fence, or at least was trying to cut through the fence, and managed to um, lift up the the sort of back flaps of this. Uh, it's difficult to describe it, kind of inflatable tunnel mm-hmm. um, that we have here in well, certainly Argentina and, and I guess other places in South America um, to protect the the players from the visiting team. Um, as they make their way out onto the pitch, which of course is normally quite a hostile environment, even in normal matches here in Argentina, never mind for the Super Clásico. Um, and a, a canister of tear gas was thrown in, tear gas or pepper spray, or t- there were whispers, at least on Twitter last night, of, of perhaps something, some even more horrible concoction, um, which caused first degree burns to, to four River Plate players meant that eventually, after quite a lot of deliberation, the second half was called off. Um, and we don't know what's going to happen to it just at the moment now. Uh, this, is, uh, this is troubling on, on many levels. I mean, the, just the fact that it happened. But, of course, this is, uh, you know, this is a, a rivalry that goes uh, well beyond the actual football sometimes. And I, you know, I don't, I, I'm almost at a loss for words. <laughs> I don't even know what to ask you necessarily I suppose that, you know, for a lot of people, this is just going to be another incident in sort of a long line of, of problems that, that uh, Argentine football has had. Is it is it fair to lump this in with some of the other things that have been going on in, in Argentina? Yes and no. Um, I've never seen anything quite like this before. Now, I've never seen anything quite like this in just over a decade of watching Argentine football and I think it, it get, coming on for nine years that I've been writing about it in some capacity. Uh, there were one of the, the commentators on, on the broadcast down here last night said that in 30 years he'd never seen anything like it across the continent. Um, I suspect there are people who've been covering it for even longer than him who have, who have never seen anything like it in, in even more time than that. Um you can have a look at uh, the, the the background of violence and and corruption in Argentine football, and perhaps start to draw. Um, don't want to say a timeline, but but some kind of draw some kind of uh, background from it. Um, but for it to affect things in that way and with, with those kind of scenes on the pitch was was new. And it's really, in a way, it feels strange to be so shocked because, you know, the, the, these same problems, and we're talking about to paint very broad brushstrokes and to, um, to perhaps leap to a couple of conclusions, although there, is, uh, there are a couple of, of reports coming out now from experts on, um, on the field just this morning uh, suggesting that, that the Barra Brava did have something to do with it. Mm. So the the Barra Bravas are the normal translation would be hooligan gangs, but they're right, more like right. mafia groups yes. linked to clubs. Um, at least they're more like mafia groups in the case of the, the the bigger clubs, or not even the bigger clubs. Sometimes, sometimes just the most you know the, the more smaller, but uh, ones with, with with the more dangerous gangs. Um, and it appears to be from. Uh, a report that I'm just starting to read, unfortunately, before um, you guys called, uh, by Gustavo Carabia, who is a, a very good journalist who, who covers these people. I mean, that's what he does. He specialises in the Barra Bravas um, in Argentina. And he seems to think that this had something to do with an internal fight um, for for control of the Boca Barra. Essentially, the the official, let's say in inverted commas, leaders of the Barra um, were not supposed to be allowed in last night. I've I've not heard any word on whether they were or not. Right. As I say, I've only just started to read the report, though. Um, and the, the dissident faction of this Barra um, appear to be behind this this attack to, what, to make the club look bad. And that's, this is the thing, you know. People still occasionally tweet me and say, I don't understand 
what these uh, really hardcore fans are feeling, that it's just love for the club and, and, and that it's manifested in a different way and that because I'm foreign, I don't get it or whatever. Um, but when it's when when we say that these people aren't fans, we really mean it. I mean, this, this guy was doing yeah. something that might see Boca, and I'm not going to... I'm not suggesting this is necessarily what I think should happen or... Um, we're going by by Common Ball's rules. We could see Boca effectively kicked out of the Copa Libertadores mm-hmm, tonight, mm-hmm. Uh, today. Sorry, because at some point today the the decision's going to be made, and the decisions are either the second half gets replayed in a neutral venue um, behind closed doors in the next few days, and right. if not, if if Conmebol, the South American Confederation feel that Boca are in some way responsible for what happens uh, by negligence or, or uh, anything else, uh, they can award the match the 3-0 walk over to River, which would in effect kick Boca out. There were reports on ESPN last night, well, reports, rumours, whispers, that uh, aside from that, we could see La Bombonera closed to international competition for the next as much as two years. Um, one judge here in the city of Buenos Aires has already announced that La Bombonera is closed down for the duration. We, we don't know for how long, but whilst there's there's going to be an investigation, mm-hmm. um, obviously, into what happened. So this is not somebody who supports the club, you know, in any, in any sense that I can understand, in any sense that a lot of people can understand. Um, it, it goes some way beyond that. Um and it's a very, well, it's certainly going to become very prominent, I suspect, in, in the next few hours, if it isn't already. I've been sleeping for most of the last few hours, um, or trying to anyway. Um, and, and, yeah, I, I don't know how to continue. I, I, I completely understand, Sam, and, and as, as you've outlined, and I think that people need to remember that, we, you know, there's... <laughs> There's obviously in this country, and just to give you a little bit of perspective, we're, we're aping a lot of what, as, as, as football fans, as soccer fans, relatively new to hardcore support, we ape a lot of what we see around the world. And it's interesting that we have a group here attached to DC United that calls themselves the Barra Brava. And it always struck me as funny. Now, I, I respect them and what they do, and they are completely fine. I mean, they are good fans. They are hardcore fans. They have a good time. They jump up and down. They sing. They're nothing like the Barra Brava we see in Argentina. But it still strikes me as funny that that name has been appropriated. And I know it's a, it's a, it's a South American thing, not just an, an Argentine thing. But when these incidents happen, when we hear about what is essentially a mafia group, a criminal, a criminal gang, and in, as you said, in this case, this isn't a fan doing something, oh, let's get one over on River. This is, a, this is someone, as you said, with ulterior motives trying to take advantage of a situation because there's an internal struggle for possibly, control of a group that is making money off the back of ostensibly their fandom for the club. Not exactly that way. So, and, and I guess what I want to get, I guess we should get to some of the, uh, the, the practical matters at hand. And you outlined the, po- the potential um, for Boca to be kicked out of the tournament. Um, if, they play this, if, they replay, if they play the second half, the match is suspended at halftime, they play the second half in a neutral venue, River's at a disadvantage because of their, their injured players who were injured in this incident. How is that exactly fair? Well, exactly. I mean, that's one thing I was trying to get my head around last night, um, is if Conmebol announced that the second half has to go ahead, it remains a pretty big if. Um, but this is Conmebol we're talking about. I mean, you, you never know what they're going to decide until they actually decide it. Mm. If they do announce it, then you can almost you know, imagine... River possibly having a legal uh, complaint potentially to bring up. Right. Um, there are there are plenty of people here who feel that River would be within their rights to to refuse to play the second half. Um, but if they did, then what happens to the competition? Because the you know uh, would River then be running the risk of being thrown out themselves for refusing to play, um, which would benefit to an extent Bocca's but it's worth remembering that that River were ahead in the tie when this happened River won the first leg last week 1-0 um, and it was 0-0 with the second half obviously to play when, when the match got called off last night um, and so it's a very difficult balancing act and it, it's going to so much depends on on what Conmebol come out with um, in the next few hours 
The the after, in the aftermath of the actual incident, which uh, whatever this concoction was was uh, was sprayed on the uh, the river players entering the field, it seemed confusion was was the order of the day. And and you mentioned Comable. Exactly who was responsible for the fact that they 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 basically milled on milled around on the field for an hour before anyone made a decision to call the match or to do something about what had just happened. And then exactly how did they get River fan, uh, River players and fans, I imagine there were some in, in the building as well, out of that stadium without some sort of incident happening? Okay, first of all, there wouldn't have been any River fans okay. there. All right, fair enough. Um, if there were, at least, then they were having to keep very, very quiet because there, there's an away fan ban in the Argentine League, right? Okay. Uh, as yeah. I think, you know, which has been in place for almost the last two years. Okay. Um, and although this was a Copa Libertadores match, a, a continental match, um, that still applies between two Argentine clubs. Okay. It's, it's uh, okay. an Argentine regulation rather than an Argentine Football Association regulation, um, as it were. So no, no way end to evacuate, at least, which I guess must have simplified things in a way. Um, and to the, the, the rest of the question, it, I'm going to try and sort of give two bits of the answer and the first bit is to ignore the question slightly and say that even before the match last night Uh it already looked as if uh, the refereeing delegation um, decision had had been taken slightly strangely last week's first leg was very poorly refereed um, by Herman Delfino who is a a youngish referee but a, a, a talented one I think he's about 38 or 39 um, one of the, the better young referees coming up in South America, not just in Argentina. Um, he's the man who uh, a month or so ago caused some much more minor worldwide headlines by um, reversing a, a, a penalty decision in a league match between Vélez Southfield and Arsenal de Sarandí. Um, and lots of people, uh, reports and rumours and whatnot, claim that it was it was done on the back of TV um, evidence. Um he refereed the first leg and, and did quite a, a poor job. Boca Juniors felt, I think, with some justification um, that a lot of that poor job had to do with allowing River to get away with a little bit more kicking than they maybe should have got away with, although there were um, Boca benefited to, to an extent as well. There probably should have been a red card for Boca, but there arguably should have been two for River, um, and, and not, neither of them were given before the one that did get given with a couple of minutes to go. As a result, Boca then start to pressure for a referee who they want for the second leg. Uh, Rivers' directorship basically agreed to, you know, allow Boca to recommend the ref and then okayed it. Um, and the referee who got appointed last night was, uh, he's called Dario Herrera. Um, it's his first Super Clásico. It's his first big Clásico of any uh, kind of um, bent in in Argentina. Both referees in question are Argentine, which is a bit peculiar in itself, given that this is a continental competition. Um, but this is how it works in Conmebol. Um, it was his first Copa Libertadores match, and he's also 30 years old. No. Now, imagine being the referee, <laughs> being 30, and having to work out what on earth to do um, in the situation that we saw last night. I mean, I'm 31 and have started to, you know, since my 31st birthday, which was last month, to to get just a little bit down, you know, looking at players and thinking, okay, I'm now older than the vast majority of these guys. When the referee was announced and I realised that I was older than the referee, I started to feel really old. Um, And that shouldn't happen when you're... When you're only my age, that that should be at least another five years away, in my opinion, before I start to get older <laughs> than referees. Um, and this guy is still there for, you know, to my mind at least, a, a young person, yes. particularly for a ref, a very young and, and although talented um, as a referee, a very inexperienced person. And he had to decide what to do there. So some of the lack of, of decision making came from that. But another part of it, which initially I, I thought was ridiculous and everybody thought was ridiculous that they were waiting so long. But after a while, it dawned on me. It, it was about an hour and 10 minutes um, after the second half should have kicked off that the suspension was announced. And it seemed to me, and I think to others eventually, that one of the reasons that the decision was taking so long was not because they hadn't taken the decision. I think that was taken quite quickly, okay. not by the referee, but by Conmebol. Right. Um, I think it was that they were trying to stall for as long as possible to allow police to move into the area outside ah, the stadium right. 
to ensure as safe and egress of fans as possible. Uh, eh. All right, we seem to have lost Sam for just a second. I apologize for that. It's on my end, not on his. Uh, the connection to Buenos Aires was very, very strong. I, I was enjoying that, just listening to Sam uh, outline exactly what happened last night. Again, the situation in Buenos Aires with this uh, with this uh, Clásico in um, uh, in the Copa Libertadores is uh, an an incident that I I, I, I again I will say I'll repeat what I said to Sam just a second ago that uh, I'm at a loss for words here. Um, this uh, Sam, I apologize. That was that was my fault. Um, you're talking about obviously a safe egress from the stadium and the reason for the delay, not not in the decision, but certainly in the in in the application of said decision. Yeah, um, I'm not sure how much of it you caught, but I, I had a, a Twitter follower and an ex flatmate who both told me uh, they were relatively close to La Bombonera in in sort of southern San Telmo. For listeners who who know Buenos Aires, it's it's a fairly short walk from La Boca into San Telmo. Um, and certainly they told me that, that the police presence appeared to be beefed up, uh, up in, in quite a big way uh, during that hour that it took to, to announce to the fans. So I think a lot of it was trying to work out, OK, if we announce this, how do we make sure uh, as much as possible that, 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 that there's no riot mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> um, on the way out? Um and so some of it, I think, was playing for time, although it was certainly very confusing to be watching at the time. What is the, what is the you know, obviously there's the, there's the matter of this match and the Copa Libertadores and what happens, uh, you know, as Comnable reviews the situation. But then there's also the, the larger question of, of what Argentine football needs to do. And, 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 the, and I saw a tweet from you last night, Sam. I don't have it up in front of me. I'll paraphrase. Basically, you said you wanted to go uh, to Argentina, write about some, you know, some football that's occasionally... Uh, a little mad, but now all you seem to be doing uh, is writing about uh, a holes to make it family friendly. That's gotta be frustrating for you, and then it's gotta be frustrating for for Argentine football fans who just want their football to go on and to to be able to enjoy what is such a, a culturally important element of of Argentine life. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly interesting to write and talk about this stuff, but at the same time, I'm a meant to be a football writer not a war correspondent um and so yeah it, it, it is frustrating and as as to what needs to change i can't provide all of the answers i mean the answer ultimately needs to come to come from within um argentina and and to people who know the situation a lot better than i do of course mm-hmm. um but Daniel Angelisi, the, the Boca Juniors uh, president, said something last night. And Angelisi is a figure who has been criticised plenty during his, his time as Boca Juniors president. Um, if, uh, you know, I've, I've got to be very careful because, of course, as I say, I've been asleep for a few hours and I don't know whether anything has, has, has come up regarding whether people feel that the club were complicit in this or not. Okay, I, okay. My, my instinct is to say that they weren't, but uh, this is Argentine football, so nothing would surprise you entirely. Um, but Ankelisi has, has been criticised for, for his perceived closeness to the Barra Brava, let's say, um, at times. Um, and he said on television uh, last night, whilst all of this was sort of in the aftermath, um, that this isn't a football problem, this is a societal problem. Now, in my opinion, that's half true. It, it is a societal problem. Mm-hmm. It's wrong to say that that means it's not a football problem because it is very much both things. Um, and so there need to be changes in regulations from both the football authorities but also in some way a change of... It's very difficult to say it without sounding preachy, uh, which which I don't want to do, but in some way a change of mentality mm-hmm. um, overall. Uh, if if that makes sense, is there a sense that you mentioned that the the ties between the president and the Barra Brava is there a, is that a matter of I mean certainly it, it doesn't look good and, and you don't want those criminal elements to have influence within the club I know that happens but is that a matter of expediency in some cases I mean if these these individuals are so dangerous that they can cow um you know certain individuals in in football uh you know football administration in argentina then perhaps the 
it, it's just a matter of, well, we need to be friendly with these people. Otherwise, we risk not only the football, but our lives. There are reports and, and there have been many suggestions in, in years and decades past that the Badra Brabas have had influence over people a lot more important than the Boca Juniors president. Okay. Um, if you bear in mind that Boca Juniors are the one of the two quite indisputably biggest clubs by a very large margin in Argentine football, you can imagine the number of people in Argentine football uh, who are more important than the president of Boca Juniors. Basically, it's the head people at the Argentine Football Association. Um, there are there have been many suggestions that the Barra Bravas have had some kind of influence over people more important in Argentina than the people at the top of the Argentine Football Association. So it's very much not just a case of saying that these guys in the football club um, are... It cowed into submission again against the Badra. Um, there are more powerful parts of Argentine society yeah, which amazing. are cowed into submission against the Badra as well. Mm. And that's why the problem is so big, because even if you get a club president who comes into, a, whether it's a big club or a small club, and tries to take a stand against the Badra Brava and um, uh tries to actually apply all of the rights that the clubs have to keep them out of the stadium, to keep them away from matches, to keep them out of the club's uh, social um, uh, headquarters and, and, and various sporting um, facilities and whatnot as well. Because don't forget the clubs in Argentina are often social clubs as much as, as football clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, Boca to a slightly lesser extent because under the previous uh, club president, who's currently the mayor of Buenos Aires, uh, Mauricio Macri, they, they they had a lot of that infrastructure kind of stripped away um, in in a, a a big financial drive, but a lot of the other clubs have you know places where club members can go to practice sports themselves. They have many many other sports teams um, and all this kind of thing, and, and they're actual social clubs. Um, and the uh, the uh, example of, of a club president coming in and just being eaten alive that I'm trying to hint at is that of. Um, the Independiente president before the current one, uh, whose name in my slightly sleep-deprived state I now have to slightly embarrassingly confess I've just forgotten. Julio Comparada. Sounds right, I think. (laughs) Sorry. It's fine. Um, fine. But he he came in, made a very principled stand, saying, that's it, the Barra Brava, the the, the handouts stop here, there's going to be no more Barra in Independiente. He did a very admirable job of it for the first few weeks. Um, and then they just started to eat him alive. There were suggestions that Independiente's uh, relegation a couple of years ago was engineered by the Barra walking into training sessions and and uh, threatening the players and saying, you're going to lose this weekend because we want you to get relegated because we want to get this guy out of the club. Uh, and that's precisely what happened. As soon as the relegation happened, the fans who'd voted this guy in by a huge margin um, seemed to to forget what they was actually standing for and just say, no, bad results on the pitch, that's it, you're out. And they've now voted in somebody who's very much um, in the pocket of the Barra Brava and is also uh, the leader of the the largest uh, trade union in the country, in a country where the trade unions are quite a lot more powerful than they are in uh, my home country and indeed in your home yes. country. Uh, Sam, I'll, let, I'll leave you with this. I mean, I, I want to turn back to to the actual football, despite the fact that this is uh, it, it's all it's all connected. Obviously, it's difficult, and I, I know it's frustrating for you to have to write about these things rather than the games themselves and the players and some of the brilliant football we can see out of Argentina. But the question for me, and you know, I, I admit that this is I sit in a position uh, where the top league in my country certainly benefits from some of this. Why would any player want to stay in Argentina? Any player who has the opportunity to go abroad and find a, a reasonable job with uh, a check that clears and no threat, uh, no threats from Barra Brava and, and a quiet... Why would they ever want to stay in Argentina? After last night, I don't have a clue. Um, obviously, that's easier for us to say as, as, as non-Argentines. The, sure. the, these yes. guys have, have yeah. grown up um, in this country. It's home for a lot of them the clubs that they're playing for in many, many cases, certainly in far more cases than in the English Premier League. And I suspect uh, 
that in in Major League Soccer, if only because a lot of the clubs in Major League Soccer probably didn't exist when the players were growing up. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but down here, a lot of these guys are playing for clubs that they've supported since they were kids. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. The other point is that that down here, the the more talented players, um, and sometimes just the the the, the, the players who manage to to reach um, the the average level of talent, but but who manage to stand out for a few matches. Um, will be off to, to Europe or elsewhere in South America or Asia um, or North America at the earliest opportunity once they get a, um, a an offer because the state that the Argentine economy is in at the moment, any foreign currency at all uh, into, their, in, into a foreign bank account is more useful for them than Argentine pesos in an Argentine bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, a sad state of affairs in itself. But some of the guys are, are staying for the love of the club. I mean, Boca Juniors last night um, had playing up front for them Daniel Osvaldo, who I think is 28 years old, so he's still very much you know at his, at his peak. He admittedly has had quite a few fallings out in Europe. Boca is the 11th club in 10 years, uh, which is a remarkable number. Um, but he has, uh, although he didn't play for Boca before he left Argentina, he's a lifelong Boca fan, and, and he's playing this probably only a six month to one year loan admittedly but he's he's playing for them partly because he genuinely wants to be there the same is going to be the case either this year or far more likely in my opinion next year when Carlos Tevez returns to Boca Mm -hmm. he's going to do so because he wants to be there he's going to take a massive pay cut uh, obviously in Tevez's case and to a, a slightly lesser extent probably but also in Osvaldo's case these are guys who can afford to do this um but there has to be something else there, right? I mean, apart from just what we saw last night. At the same time, if I was a, a young player, and certainly if I was a player, say, in Leonardo Poncio's position, who's one of the River players who who is in the Burns unit at the moment and has been told that they've got to stay for 72 hours in observation um, with first-degree Burns. He played in Europe. He's played for the national team. He's made his money. Um it it must be he must be asking himself at the moment whether he really wants to carry on and yet at the same time well if i make a decision to retire then in a way that guy wins true um and so there are all kinds of of things to bear in mind but i mean i think it comes back to this this being home um mm. for pretty much all of these guys you know th- there are going to be a, a few players from elsewhere in south america who get affected by this sometimes i think off the top of my head, all four of the the guys who are currently hospitalised for River are, are Argentine, but they could just as easily have been uh, Uruguayan. Uh, Carlos Sanchez was was very nearby in, in, in the tunnel last night, um, for example, or, or from elsewhere on the continent. So it, it comes down ultimately to these guys are, are playing at home, and, and, and that's why they're here. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. I mean, obviously, uh, that's a, a large pull, and, and I just I, that seems to be maybe the only thing that, that keeps uh, Argentine football chugging along. It's something approaching a decent pace these days, Sam, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, obviously, this, hopefully thing, good things come out of this incident, whatever the resolution to the actual tie is. I hope something is done uh, that addresses the, the fact that this was allowed to happen uh, some way. I, I, I appreciate your time. I'm not sure there's much more for us to do here. I wish you the best. I hope you can get some sleep, and uh, hopefully you're writing again about actual football very soon. Yeah, I'm going to have an, an article on this at some point, probably later today, up on ESPN FC if people want to okay, look for it. Definitely do that. Uh, find a, Unfortunately, yeah. as to any kind of resolution or anything good coming out on this, the only thing that I'll say for now is don't hold your breath. Okay, fair enough. Sam Kelly from Buenos Aires talking about... Boca and River, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines and talk to you about this and anything else. It's Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Be right back. Hi, I'm Jason Davis, and I want to invite Soccer Morning listeners to join me this Friday for FC Dallas against the New York Red Bulls. During the game, I'm going to be sharing my thoughts and opinions about the MLS action at Rabble.tv. It's a brand new television experience that gives fans the ability to talk and banter about the beautiful game. You'll get a chance to hear my opinions about the strengths and weaknesses of Dallas and the Red Bulls, as well as post questions to me via the live conversations thread. 
If you have an iPhone, that's great. You can use the Rabble app to hear me. Or you can go directly to the website at rabble.tv. So come on, Soccer Morning listeners, mark your calendars for this Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And let's hang out at rabble.tv to talk Red Bulls, the Hoops, and MLS. I look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning on a Friday. Man, it is so Friday around here. It is so Friday around here right now. Not only because we just talked Boca River and all that craziness that went down last night in the Copa Libertadores, but because it's just Friday. Like, there's stuff around here and the way things are lining up. Jump on the phone lines to talk about anything that's on your mind. 818. No, that's not right. 646-832-3909. 646-832-3909. MLS weekend coming up. We can review some of those headlines I hit on. The Europa League final. You guys excited about the Europa League final? Sevilla. Nipro. I think you got if you if you have a heart, you've got to sort of root for the for the Ukraine for the Ukrainian team, right? I mean, Sevilla has been here before. Dnipro's sort of playing for a troubled country in a way. I'm not sure that you know. I'm not sure everybody's going to be on board. Certainly, especially Ukrainian fans who are not friends of uh, fans of Dnipro. But maybe you can just buy into the notion that it'd be nice to have a team from Ukraine win the title. Little uh yeah, little Eastern European action in this tournament. Uh we got a couple of things in MLS we're talking about. Jermaine Jones and his contract situation. Reading a post at the bentmusket.com this morning. Where Jones is saying, Hey, I want to be here, I like it here. I need a longer contract. Now, if you're the New England Revolution, and remember they spent more money on Jermaine Jones than we thought they would. Just based on their history. They brought him in as a DP after the blind draw with Chicago. Now he's 33 years old. Be 34 next season. And he's saying, I need a longer contract. I would say, I would say the only point I try to talk uh, now with the league to get a longer contract so I can switch my kids, my family. For one year, it's not possible to get them, get them out of school and all that stuff. Now, if you're the New England Revolution, do you sign Jermaine Jones to something like a three-year contract? Or even two years, for that matter. Would, would he be comfortable? Would he be happy with two years? How much do you pay him? Right now, he's playing center back for a team that has a hole there. And doing a fine job of it, or a reasonable job of it, but that's not where, that's not a that's not where you're paying him the big money to play. You're playing you're paying him the big money to play in midfield. So how much do you give him? How much time do you give him? Contracts are of, uh, of interest to me, especially the DP contracts, especially when we talk about what Steven Gerrard's going to make, what Frank Lampard's going to make, six million dollars a year. So have a prorated contract in 2015, and then he'll make $6 million for 2016. And then you have to review whether he's going to stick around and whether a year and a half is enough time. Let's go to Robert. Robert wants to talk about something else. What's up, Robert? Hey, good morning, Jason. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, my friend. Hey, I wanted to call you and ask you about my... Uh, uh, Fox and he's in the broadcasting of MLS games. Okay. And uh, the one thing I say is, uh, you know that we in this how I called last week and we're talking about commentators, and I just want to talk about uh, this time broadcasting to just make a game or MLS games more appealable or make it look much more better than it actually is on games on TV. If you understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah, present presentation. I understand. Yes, it's like, if I have an example, it's, it's mostly, we, we've seen it all around, uh, you know, Europe or Mexico or South America, is when, like, uh, a goal is scored, and then you see the manager's reaction, 
And then, but when we when I'm watching the MLS games, we never see that. Like, I would like to see him, uh, you know, Vicky Smith or Jesse March or um, a Bruce Arena's reaction to a goal. Okay, I want to see how that looks like. Well, I, like I, I, just, we always we always see him, uh, you know, Joe Joe Mourinho or Andre yeah. Mayer doing the fist pump or. Well, jumping up and down like he has ants in his pants, or <laughs> or even our national team games. You like know, we see I, I all think, the national team managers jumping around, all excited. Yeah. But we come to MLS, we never see it. You know, this comes to something that I think is interesting. That maybe um, we don't do a good as good of a job in this country of of making our managers, our head coaches, characters the way that they do in other parts yeah. of the world. I mean, certainly Miguel Herrera has. Is, is incredibly popular with people who don't care at all about Mexico because of his character, because of his excitable, excitable nature, because of the, the gifs bouncing around from his celebrations. That, that's, that is, that, that you're right. There's something, but then again, there's a lot of, and, and they're fine people, but they're boring guys. There's some boring guys in MLS. Some boring guys stalking the sidelines in this league. Uh, but at the same time, I can name probably five or six I would love to see reactions from. Ben Olsen? Uh, yes. Uh, and I can uh, – I'm sorry, Jeff, I didn't hate, hate to interrupt. But, like, NBC, when NBC had MLS rights, we always saw, you know, Caleb Poor's reaction. We always saw him jumping up and down well, whenever he – especially to, like, other players. So, I don't know, uh, Caleb Poor is a good example, or Adrian Heat is a good example. Ben Olsen, I really want to see his reaction to see how he jumps up and down. Okay, I, I think this is about making characters and making the game more compelling because of those characters. Right, maybe I'll put that out there to everybody else. If you agree with Robert that that Fox maybe isn't doing a, as good of a job, is that maybe ESPN as well? Hit us up six four six eight three two three nine zero nine and let me know, Robert. I think it's an interesting uh, thing to consider, and, and I'm I'm be the, I'll be the first one to argue that the growth of MLS on TV is partly tied into how you present the product. And, you know, I think they're all, I think both Fox and ESPN are trying very hard, Univision as well, trying very hard to present the product well, but maybe there are little, little elements that they're, that they could add in. I think, you know, I was talking about that, um, that New York, uh, the New York, New York game last weekend on Fox. And I thought Fox did an incredible job of, giving us a sense of what the atmosphere was like. Now, did they hit every single note? I don't know. That, that's, up, that's in the eye of the beholder. But certainly you could argue, as you have, that giving us a, a peek at, at the managers when a goal is scored or the head coaches when a goal is scored builds some of that narrative a little bit. Yes. Uh, do you think it's mostly because all these games we see you know, in Europe or, or everywhere else, like the Champions League or Euros, are done from a foreign aspect, because and then when you, uh, Fox and ESPN just get the feed, and pretty much they don't have to do anything, they just like stand there, and then like the director stands there saying like, "Oh, I got forty five minutes myself. I guess I'll go have lunch." <laughs> he comes back, directs the halftime show. No, another forty five minutes. Uh, take a nap, and then when it's his turn to direct the game, an MLS game, he's like, "Uh, yeah, they have, they just stand there like, uh, what do I do? Like, well, who do I point the camera to?" Uh, I, maybe. I, I mean, I you know clearly. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm not being uh, overreactive. Just using that as a sarcastic example. No, I. I see what you're saying, Robert. It's an interesting question. Appreciate the phone call, man. All right. Thanks. Enjoy for your, my call. Enjoy your soccer this weekend. There goes Robert in L.A. Robert's got a. He's got. You know, if 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 our friend Eddie in Brooklyn's got bones to pick, I think Robert's got an axe to grind, and his axe has always been. The presentation of soccer on television. And I know there are other people out there who have issues in this area as well. Maybe with, we, we, we've had that, that question. Who is it in, is it, is it Ray in Milwaukee who consistently brings up the fact that this is a, we have very, we have a very, uh, we have a lack of diversity in the people calling our, our MLS games, our soccer games in this country. That's, uh, all of these things should matter. To the people in charge, all these things should matter to the people who are putting on the broadcast. You can't hit every single thing that everybody wants. You can't make everybody happy. But, you know, it's intriguing to imagine a a world in which MLS really does, sorry, ESPN and Fox really do make an effort to uh, promote those MLS narratives that come from something like the head coaches. Now, the head coaches have to be interesting. They have to be 
They they have to be animated. They have to show emotion. They have to give us something. That's why I picked out Ben Olsen. It's a fiery individual, that Ben Olsen. I was watching that game on Wednesday night against Orlando City, and he, the mics were picking up Ben Olsen. And he yells a lot. So it's very much like that, 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 that thing we had with, with Jurgen Klinsmann. All right. And, I, I, you know, again, th- there's limited resources here. So we have to consider that as well. How many cameras are being used at our MLS broadcast? And how many can you justify training on a guy who's on the sideline? Because, again, this isn't. This is a sport where you never know when the goal is going to happen. So you can't just follow the manager up and down the sideline. The only time we ever get those cameras that follow individuals and have the coverage is so great that you might be able to sacrifice one is when David Beckham was in this league. That's the only time that's ever happened. Do you remember David Beckham's first game? I think it was the friendly against Chelsea, right? And there was Beckham cam and there was a camera on, he was on the bench to start that game. And they had a camera on him just while he was just sitting there. I mean, they were trying to, they were obviously focusing on the most, the, the, the most popular player, the guy drawing the most eyeballs, but ah, I don't know. Yeah, but I, but, but, but it's been, I've been reminded that there are limited resources at these games. And you can't just say, hey, get, bring more cameras. It doesn't really work that way. There's got to be a balance between the investment in the product, the mo- amount of money they're spending for the rights, the amount of money they're spending on production, and what they're getting out of it. And right now, MLS isn't delivering enough ratings that you could argue, well, it's time to increase the production budget. 646-832-3909. Everybody is uh, hibernating ahead of the weekend schedule. Middlesbrough, who's who is it in the um in the championship playoffs today, Trevor? Middlesbrough and Brentford. Do I have that right? Bradford, Brentford, Brentford. Brentford, yes. Somebody somebody right now who knows lower division, lower league football in England is yelling at me. How dare you get those two teams confused? How dare you do that? Yes. Middlesbrough and Brentford today in the championship playoffs. Unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be able to watch that game. I do enjoy the championship playoffs. I think that the the amount of drama that is created by not only promotion to the Premier League, but the amount of money that comes in the club because you're promoted to the Premier League creates, it creates a dynamic that's pretty fantastic. I'd love for us to be able to recreate that here somehow. Sometimes MLS playoff games deliver drama, and sometimes they're just... They're blah. Sometimes they're just not there in terms of that element of it. But we can always hope. I do enjoy the playoffs in MLS a lot. Um, so, And we've got the Mexican League playoffs going on as well. Or getting, yeah, going on. As, uh, yeah, they've already started. We talked about uh, Club America and Pachuca. Stuff is happening down there as well. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. On uh, the Sirius XM show today, just to give you a quick preview, three player interviews stuff uh, you should be listening to. We're going to talk to Darren Maddox from the Vancouver Whitecaps, one of the young guns out there for Vancouver as they attempt to make their name in the Western Conference. We're going to go. We're going to talk to Chris Rolf of DC United, one of the leading. Uh, figures in D.C. United's first place run so far this season and last season. And we're going to talk to Christian Nicht. Nicht? 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 i got to check that out before I go. Before I talk to him. Got to get that pronunciation right. Uh, I'm sure there's a guide over at Indy11.com somewhere. Uh, we're going to talk to him about his experience with the Montreal Impact and playing in the CONCACAF Champions League final and now re-signing with uh, Indy11. Let's go to Eric in Raleigh. What's up, Eric? Hey, Jason, um, just talking about the product of MLS and how it's put forward to the masses, I think that if ESPN is, when they start getting, getting really serious about it, they're going to start playing uh, highlights and coverage on SportsCenter a lot more. I think that'll come. There, there, that's, there's been an uptick in that in the last couple of years, I think. I mean, 
uh, MLS or sorry, uh, ESPN and Sports Center have under under um, John Skipper have pretty much embraced soccer at this point. The snarky comments have kind of gone away. They're getting a lot of the, they're getting most of the pronunciation on names correct or close enough, and and they are showing yeah. they're showing some of the big moments. Now that happens. It tends to be the Euro, the European stuff, and I think that you know ESPN knows that right now the highest level is the European stuff. And they don't necessarily go to MLS, um, but yeah, that 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 should come around. I hope it does, Eric. I hope I hope you're right. Yeah, and that's a, the European stuff is a great gateway, and I've really been impressed after the Champions League uh, America's pre game on uh, Fox Sports One. Yeah, they got pretty hard to uh, the soccer stuff, so that's encouraging. All that. Yeah, I appreciate the call, uh, Eric. Appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Enjoy your yeah, weekend thanks. of soccer. Let's talk to uh, Gio down in San Antonio. What's up, Gio? Hey, Jason. Um, I was going to talk about uh, my uh, prediction for the uh, U.S. Open Cup final. You, you ready for this? I think it's going to blow your mind. Uh, I imagine. If you're, if you're making a prediction after, sec- after first-round matches, we haven't even played the second round yet, yeah, I imagine it's going to blow my mind. What is this? All right, so I went to my psychic. And uh, she told me it's going to be Harpo's and San Antonio in the final. That's, okay, that's how sure. it's going to break down. Yeah, the pub team out of what Colorado, right? <laughs> and and yeah, something and, like that. And your hometown team. Um, imagine that. Imagine how that happened. The the psychic picking your team and the biggest underdog in the entire tournament. I, I, I don't think there's any bias at all. No, absolutely not. You <laughs> clearly, clearly, this has come. You've come to this conclusion. This prediction has come about simply based on what the universe has told your psychic. Yeah, Harper. Well, let's let's not let's not get crazy. She's not some kind of mystic. This is, this is using science. All science, right, science. like planets and stuff. <laughs> planets and stuff. Uh, I would love to go to, I've never been to a psychic. I'd love to go to a psychic, sit down and have her look at me and go, I will now use the planets and stuff to determine your future. <laughs> look, Har- exactly. Harpo's is a good story. And you know how I know Harpo's is a good story because my mom knows about it. My mom knows about no. Harpo's and I don't, first of all, she, okay, let me just a couple of things. One, she's from Colorado and she has ties to Colorado. And I'm sure that's part of the reason she knows about it. But just the fact she does know about it is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. That's a pretty good scale for for testing how uh, how important or how how big a story it is. Yes, I think it is. Wait, wait, look. She knows what I do for a living. Obviously, she has a passing interest in the game, but she understands very, very little of it. In fact, I had to go through. I had a conversation with her last night. And I had to go through how. You know, uh, so are is Harpo's under FIFA? <laughs> and I was like, wait a second, hold on, this is going to take a little while. So Harpo's is a is a member of this soccer, you know, amateur soccer organization, who is then you know sanctioned by U.S. Soccer, who is then sanctioned by FIFA, uh, you know, all that stuff, all of that stuff. Um, confusing, right? Right? Yeah. yeah. Anything else, Joe? Uh, one real thing that I wanted to say was that I think that San Antonio could actually uh, uh, make a little bit of a run if, Mar- if Coach Marcina thinks that this season is uh, kind of a wash and wants to put all of his eggs into the fall season basket. Um, I, could, I could see uh, San Antonio actually making a push this year. It might be interesting to see how many of the NESL teams go all in. and whether I, I wonder if there was some like league directive. Did Bill Peterson like cold call everybody and say, you're going to take this seriously because... It would be good for an NESL team to make a very deep run, go to the final, perhaps even win it. We know the Cosmos have consistently talked about it, but how much do the Scorpions care and the Strikers and the Railhawks and um, you know we, uh, Indy 11, I'm sure they're going to put a lot into it because uh, they've got leadership that cares about that tournament. Uh, it, it'll be fascinating to watch what the NESL teams do. And they jump in in the, in the, third, no, in the, in the third round or in the fourth round? I believe it's the third round. The third round, right. All right, keep an eye on it. Thanks, Gio. Yep, thanks. Speaking of uh, U.S. Open Cup, let's go to Bill, who wants to talk about the U.S. Open Cup and television. Hey, Bill. Hey, Jason. How's it going? Uh, It's going well. It's uh, Friday, man. Go ahead. What I want to bring up is that, and I'm sure this this has come up in the past, how about moving the semifinals and finals to a weekend? 
know, um, the ratings are awful on Tuesday night. Even the fans showing up on a Tuesday or Wednesday night or yeah. next to none. I, if you move it to have a Friday night, have a doubleheader Friday night for the semifinal, and the next Friday night have the final. I, I tend to agree with you that it would be better. I, I, I can't jump to the saying yes without uh, without trying to appreciate what that would do to the league schedule for whoever's there. And, you know, history tells it's going to be two MLS teams. If you if you take away a, a weekend date from two MLS teams from the league, you got to put that back in somewhere. League matches draw better than Open Cup matches. Owners are still tied to their gate as a revenue stream. They're not going to be happy about losing out on a weekend league match. I, 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 I'm not saying that it's not a great idea, Bill. I'm just saying that I think U.S. soccer doesn't necessarily have the pull to make it happen. Because I almost think that those games, if you move those games to the weekend, because we love playoffs. <laughs> those are playoff games. There's going to be a winner, which yeah. I like some medium fans or whatever. The average fan sometimes doesn't like that the ties are. Now you have a winner. And I think those games would sell out. Well, it would help. And I think everybody would show up for those semifinals and the final, you know, when they may not show up on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. You know, it would help if um, if the television rights were with somebody who everybody could watch. I mean, uh, I guess. Yeah. Well, I guess. I guess this year it's going to be Fox, right? Is that right? I'm sorry. I'm just doing a quick uh, just doing a quick search here in terms of the the television rights. It, it may be. Uh, it may be on Fox this year. That says source. I don't know. Has this has this been confirmed? I got I got to check on the TV rights. But obviously, we've had a history with this tournament where it's been on stuff like Gold TV that nobody got. And you know, give, yeah. give Gold TV credit, I guess, for doing the broadcast that they did. But it wasn't very good. You need. I mean, we're talking about raising the level of MLS broadcasts. The level of U.S. Open Cup broadcast has to come up by miles before we can even talk about it being the sort of TV product that's going to draw any eyeballs on a Friday night, Bill. Oh, I'll tell you, you're broadcast the Friday night games that you get in English. Have you listened to them? <laughs> it, uh, yeah. I'll tell you, it's, I, I love it. I think it's great because it's hilarious. It you is. Them it the is. Names yeah. and the white bullet or the right glove, the one guy was screaming a couple weeks ago. It's funny to listen to. Well, right. you talk about needing to bring up their standards. Yeah. That's fucking nice English. By the way, by the way, Bill, thanks for this. By the way, I'm going to let you go. Tonight at Rabble.tv, myself and Jared Dubois will be doing the thing that they do at Rabble during the FC Dallas New York Red Bulls game. So you should be checking that out. There's an iPhone app, and you can go to Rabble.tv, and it's essentially us watching the game, talking about it, doing our thing. John in Dallas wants to talk about that game specifically. What's up, John? Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to to Dallas and Red Bulls. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'll be in the stands tonight. My wife and I will be. I just. Uh, I actually. Hopefully, you didn't already go over this early in the show. I apologize if I missed it, but I actually just kind of wanted to hear uh, what you saw going into this game tonight. Um, uh, uh, that, that was really it. I, or I got a couple other things actually, but I wanted to hear that. Well, so, I think John, I think uh, the I think um, the Rebels are going to have to be careful with their press. Um, I think that gives Dallas an opportunity to not only beat guys off the dribble, but to create space behind uh, behind New York and to find gaps between. You know, if 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 New York gets stretched at all, and there's gaps between you know Dax McCarty, Sasha Clash, and Felipe, and that back line. And that back line's been steady, but they're not the best in the league. Uh, certainly, Parnell and, and Miazga, whoever's playing, Miazga may be gone already. Uh, whoever's playing there, then they need um, they, they need that protection, and that could be a problem. And I could certainly see. I, I if I'm making a pick, I'm picking Dallas, John. I just think that the fire, yeah. the firepower power that Dallas has is is going to be a little bit too much for the Red Bulls tonight, um, especially in Frisco. Yeah, you know, it's funny, too, and I actually thought, so So, rewind about a week ago, I actually thought that the same thing going into the game, that, you know, FC Dallas' firepower is just going to be too much, and then, you know, we're 75, 76, 77 minutes in, and we still haven't scored a goal, and uh, so, you know, I, I'm hoping we don't run into a similar situation like that tonight, but I, I think you're right, I mean, I, I, I kind of see it 2-1, maybe 3-1, but uh, I definitely see it going Dallas's way tonight, particularly in Frisco. I was going to ask you too about the the Rabble TV stuff. Like I said, I'll be in the stand, so I unfortunately won't be able to 
watch um, that. Is there a are you, is there any, is there going to like be a live tweet element to that that you know we can interact with or, um, or is that not? Uh, I believe there's a well, there's certainly a, a a conversation thread attached, but if you're not able to access that, then we can definitely incorporate tweets. So yeah, hit us up. Um, it's probably gonna what 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 will we use for that, Trevor? What do you want to use for that? Um, we can probably use uh, since it's me and Jared, we can probably use just Best Soccer Show. If you hit us up at Best Soccer Show, John, I'll try to work all that stuff in. Yeah, awesome, man. All right, anything else? No, I think right. that's it. All right, enjoy um, the match. Yeah, thanks for. All right. Yeah, dude, I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, go Dallas, and thanks for the time, Jason. All right, See there you, you go. Yeah, so remember that uh, Rival.TV tonight to Jared Dubois, Jason Davis covering, uh, covering, talking about that game as it happens, 9 o'clock Eastern time. I think that's going to do it for us on a Friday of the web edition of Soccer Morning here at WorldSoccerTalk.com. Thank you very much to Sam Kelly for his insight into what happened last night in Argentina between Boca, uh, Boca Juniors and River Plate. Uh, troubling stuff there, but interesting, uh, an interesting discussion. Uh, make sure you go to backheel.com slash store to buy yourself a soccer morning mug. Good. And then we have t-shirts. You can hold on one second. Let me see if I can. I'm just going to grab the t-shirt real quick so you can see it. Here's the t-shirt. 3nilfc.com to buy the t-shirt. Uh, helps out the show a lot. Follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning and uh, go get yourself a subscription to Sirius XM so you can listen to Sirius XM FC Channel 94 at 11 o'clock today when I go on the air. Let's talk MLS and American Soccer and have a good time. And uh, yeah, I'll see you guys on Monday in this thing.